So first of all, thank you so much for letting me interview you, Mike. A, I know how pushed you are for time, as all the Mavericks tend to be. And B, I can't actually do this without you guys giving me the time. I'm kind of just like the messenger. <laughs> so, my first, so my first question is, why do you want to do this interview? Why did you say yes? Well, for me, um, I guess the, you know, when you look on, back on your life or as you live it, you, you kind of ask yourself, um, you know, who have I helped? What difference have I made? And um, when I was looking for a job, um, there were very few people that wanted to give me a break or an opportunity. And I locked up, knocked on a lot of doors and most of them stayed firmly closed. And I vowed. Um, a long time ago, probably close to 30 years ago, that if anyone ever wanted information, wanted advice, wanted guidance, wanted help, I'd very generously, I guess to the maximum of my um, potential, mm -hmm. embark what I knew that may help them. Okay. So when I thought that if people, you know, read your book and, and you are, are looking for this kind of information, um, it's part of who I am to to um, to share as much as possible. Okay, so how would you define a maverick? I think a maverick is is a person who isn't con um, confined by conventional thinking, mm -hmm. uh, a person who's liberated to see a better way, mm -hmm. uh, and um, and has the tenacity to follow it through. So um, not a dreamer but a dreamer who then can, can if, uh, effectively convert that into, into doing and has the resilience and the tenacity to make sure that it happens okay. uh, and, and, and isn't put off by groupthink or by the naysayers, but um, perseveres and pushes through until he, sees, he or she sees success. Okay. So why do you think you're a maverick? Well, uh, um, I, I've never been... Um, someone who has uh, accepted dogma or has accepted um, traditional ways of doing stuff. So I've always pushed through the boundaries in terms of how I've approached uh, problem solving within the marketing and within the communications context. Okay. So, for example, when I was at my former company, which was uh, the Worldwide Advertising Group Ogilvy, um, I was involved in a huge amount of innovation around business modeling and communication modeling, right. which uh, which was adopted not just locally but internationally. And similarly, uh, in the company that I'm in now, mm -hmm. um, we're obviously a very established industry, the advertising and communications industry, but I've always been able to bring, I guess, a high level of innovation um, right. and effectiveness to, to, to the companies I've led through um, not um, simply applying a traditional model, but through continuously evolving how we approach communication and marketing to getting a better result for the clients and for the for the company that does the communication. Okay. The London School of Economics developed a maverickism scale. I'm going to give you seven statements. You just need to say true, false, can't decide. Sure. People tell me that I'm a maverick or words to that effect. False. I have a knack for getting things right when least expected. True. I have a way of solving problems which is different from other people. 
I'm much more productive than other people. True. I have very unusual talents. False. I am generally underestimated by people. True. I do things differently and better than most people when I work. False. Because I think that a lot of people um, perpetuate idiocy. So, <laughs> I love it! <laughs> so, so I think that if something doesn't work, yeah. they're very happy to do it again and again and again and, uh, and get the same predictable outcome. Oh, yes. Is, you know, which could be 3 out of 10, 5 out of 10, yeah. 6 out of 10. I will, I will um, investigate... Uh, why something isn't working um, to an 8, a 9, or a 10 out of 10, and I will uh, experiment and I will lose money if I need to until I get it to a better, uh, a better way of doing something. So I'm very comfortable um, experimenting, trying, um, and, and failing, actually, um, with, a, with a very clear eye on the prize. So I won't look at a short-term failure as failure. I'll look at it as a learning experience, um, and, and then I'll try it again differently the following time, as opposed to some people will presume, perceive it as an all-encompassing failure and give up at that point. Right. Um, I won't do that. I will say, why hasn't it worked? What could I be doing differently or better? And I'll apply it again, and, and that way I improve... Um, the process and uh, and and the approach. Okay, so can you give me an example of what you do differently and how? Sure. Um, so there's always been, I guess, for, um, you know, the marketing industry mm -hmm. uh, has um, reduced itself and reduced itself, both within client organisations as well as with the advertising industry, to being no more um, a marketing uh, industry, but really a communications industry. Okay. And, and so a lot of the marketing, so what I mean by that is the traditional four Ps of marketing, I believe they're now seven or nine, you know, they go up every, every year, but the traditional four Ps of marketing would be um, the pricing of a product, mm -hmm. uh, it would be the distribution, it would be the packaging, and it would be the promotion of the product. Okay. The pro the promotion is the advertising and the communication. And so most marketing organizations today, because the, the companies that they um, are within have become so siloed that pricing strategy today is done by finance, not by marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and pricing is a critical component. Um, the distribution is done by operations or by logistics. It's no longer done by marketing. So mm -hmm. you're not going to find innovative uh, distribution solutions anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and and um, the packaging is done by the product team, not by the marketing team. And so marketing today only handles one, sub, one section of what was traditionally known as the, the four Ps or the marketing mix. So what I've done, and then a lot of it would be going to um, the solutions would come from companies that aren't advertising agencies, but the consultancies like the McKinsey's or the Accenture's of this world. Mm -hmm. So I've always concerned myself with why does somebody choose to buy a product versus 
a brand there, that's rather say, a brand versus mm-hmm. another brand. And there are many variables around that. So I've always in, um, involved myself in all the pulleys and levers to creating the preferred brand in the marketplace. Right. So what are all the different things that I could be doing that would make a difference to somebody choosing to do business with my client's brand versus one of their competitors? Okay. So, so the agency also, a traditional ad, ad, advertising agency model is you have a CEO, you have a creative director, and those are the top two people in the company, and then you've got almost like a pyramid structure of people underneath them, and and uh, and, and as a result of that, you get a, a, a small band of senior people and a huge band of junior people, and the junior people aren't able to add the value of the senior people because they don't have the experience, right. and they have come across these problems before. So I then looked at the law firms and the architectural firms, and I said, I'm going to structure my company like a law firm or an architectural practice where I'm going to have a partnership, a whole lot of senior partners yeah. that, um, you know, I think I referred to as T-shaped people mm. that are that work nicely across the, um, the horizontal but have deep verticals in terms mm-hmm. of specialist skill. Yes. And so I'm basically the senior partner out of a number of partners in our advertising agency. So we have a disproportionately um, experienced and heavy uh, management team in the company. Right. And engineered our remuneration model around that. So traditionally, advertising agencies get paid for execution, for the development of work. We get paid for our thinking, which yes. is um, which is like the silver bullet or the holy grail. It's the yes. holy grail. Say, of the ad industry, it's commonplace in our company because we've set ourselves up as a strategic business and communications consultancy right. that happens to do advertising as opposed to being a pure advertising agency. Right, gotcha. So, is what you do equated to the bottom line or something else? Uh, it's a combination of things. I okay. mean, I, I believe in my, my philosophy in life is in life you get because of what you give, not because of what you take. Completely so, concur with you. <laughs> thank you. So um, we do we do well mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, a bottom line return. Mm-hmm. We do not make the margins um, that a traditional advertising agency might make mm-hmm. insofar as... Um, uh, short-term gain, Mm -hmm. but we develop um, very deep relationships with the clients. Uh, We we, we perceived as indispensable business partners, Mm -hmm. and we've been able to build um, uh, probably the third, according to the Financial Mail in South Africa, we're sitting at number three uh, on the table of South Africa's largest ad agencies. I'm talking about the top 30. Yeah. Um, The next next agency on the list... um, is uh, is a minimum of uh, 16 years old, and we are four years old as a company. Right. So we've been able to grow ourselves into a top three advertising agency in scale yes. in South Africa within within four within three years actually. Right, uh, it's remarkable. So um, so we've been able to build a very very um, um, strong business, a robust business. We've had a hundred percent retention of clients, right. which is remarkable. Yes, that is remarkable. In a in a notoriously fickle, I guess, industry by reputation, certainly. Yes. And uh, and we've been able to attract uh, top talent, and we are one of the 
uh, you know, most highly regarded agencies uh, in the country creatively and, uh, and have done extremely well with um, um, big um, initiatives, um, both uh, uh, commercially and also in terms of contributing to society. For example, the street store, yes. which is entirely an MNC Saatchi able initiative for good. Yes. So we have, we run things that we invest behind called our initiatives for good, yeah. and the street store happens to be one of those. Yes. Is any part of being a maverick to do with autonomy over your own life? Absolutely. Um, yes, I think that um, mavericks. Um, so when you say to me, uh, one of the questions that you asked, has anybody ever said to me, you are a maverick? Right. Uh, uh, my answer to that was no. Yeah. Has anybody ever said to me, how is it that you are so, that you have so much conviction in what you believe? Right. And my wife was incredibly unhappy living away from home in South Africa. And she said, well, why, why don't we go back to South Africa and start this ourselves rather? Yes. Um, Ourselves being the, the royal ourselves, because uh, she's not in the advertising industry, so I was the one <laughs> starting the yeah, company. Yeah, but, but I said, you know, and then a lot of people said to me, you know, Mike, um, um, because I had, I, had, uh, I had emigrated, they said to me, why would, you, why would you go back to South Africa? Surely, you know, you would stay here. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's a great adventure. It feels like the right thing to do. And they said, well, you know, isn't the, you know, isn't uh, Australia a much more stable economy? You know, mm. aren't there much fewer variables in terms of what could go wrong, whatever those things might be? And I said, no, no, it just intuitively, this thing feels like the right thing for me to be doing now. Definitely. And then coming back into South Africa, the press was filled with comments around um, uh, basically um, uh, things like, why would Mike Abel be opening an advertising agency in a downturned economy and in an overtraded market? And it's quite one thing, you know, running South Africa's biggest ad agency, and it's quite another coming back and starting a company. Yes, afraid. yes. You know, and there was a lot of that. And, and so, so I guess what I've always done is my whole life I have marched to my own drum. But as cliched as it sounds, because it is a bit of a cliche, I guess, but I've always, if I had to say what is my religion in terms of who I am, I've always loved Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. Oh, you know? yes. You know it. Oh, do I know it? Yes. My exactly. favourite My favorite sentence in that is, you know the bit about the throw of the dice, so when something goes your way and you're jumping up and down with joy, when something yes. doesn't go your own way, you need to yes. ha take it on the chin in the, exactly the same way. Exactly right. Exactly right. It says if you can, something like if you can meet with success and failure just and yes. treat those two imposters just the, the same. same. First thing is, you know, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting Ding too. too. Yes. So, so, so I always do make allowance. So although I march firmly to my own drum, I do keep my ear firmly on the ground. Drum, I do yes. listen to what people say. And I do work through to say, is there sense in what they're saying? Is there logic? Is it dogma? Is it fear? Because a lot of people project their own fears onto you as to why something will not work. Oh, for sure. Uh, to, to be quite honest, Mike, it's been exactly the same with this project. 
when I started doing this, everybody said, you'll never get, you'll never do this. So that's kind of like red flag to a bull anyway. But the, the, like with that, that if thing, you know, I, I remember days standing here. When I first started doing this, Mike, honestly, I, I sent out 150 emails and got one person to say yes to give me an interview. That was how I started off. And everybody kept saying, you can't do this. You'll never get the kind of people you want. But I was like, no, the people will come forward for this. If you're doing this with the right heart, how can it not? And, and then the universe just took over. And I didn't, it was almost like, I mean, I've had days where I've stood here where everybody I was supposed to interview that week cancelled. Because they were busy, and then I just I just remind myself of that if poem. But if three people, if everybody had rang up this week and said, "Wow, we're in," you'd have been jumping up and down for joy. So you need to take this in the same in the same sphere. So yes, very exactly. much so. Completely, exactly. I think we're on a very similar frequency. But you'll learn exactly. more about that after. <laughs> I couldn't um, agree more. Does doing things differently, Mike, require certain skills, talents, or mindsets? And if so, what are they? So, um, you know, there's a very well um, touted um, uh, statistic, I think, around how many ideas whether or die on the van because of a lack of of tenacity, a lack of uh, reserve, both mental and physical and financial. Mm. And uh, so I guess if you want to succeed and cut out a new uh, territory and mm. open a new uh, path, I guess you've got to ask yourself, do I have the mental fortitude to see this thing through. So am I committed to it, mind, body, and soul? Yes. Um, do I have the requisite skill uh, to see it through? Because I have an unfortunate saying that I coined a number of years ago. Okay. When, when a lot of people uh, over the years were asking why they were getting not getting promotions and why they weren't uh, getting ahead in their career. And so it's an unfortunate saying, but it is one nonetheless. And yeah. I said, some people's ambition makes appointments that their talent can't keep. Nicely put. <laughs> so, it's, you know, and, and that is the truth. So you can't just dream of, I'm going to, I'm going to be a maverick. I'm going to yeah. uh, create something that nobody has seen before. You've got to think it through and you're going to say, just, you know, there's, I'm, you know, I, unfortunately I have a lot of quotes that come into my head all the time. That's fine. I, you should see my walls. They're covered. <laughs> you know, so, you know, they said saying, you know, there may be a gap in the market, but is there a market in the gap? Yes. So I always say, is there a market in the gap? If you can see this opportunity, yeah. it may indeed be an opportunity, but is it a worthwhile opportunity? Yes. You know, is there more money replicating what exists yeah. or is there more opportunity in creating a new space? Okay, because yes. obviously it's a much slower burn, but it's the old risk-reward strategy uh, or equation. Right. So, um, so um I guess when I look at something, until I have... A lot of people would say to you, Billy, that I'm a very conservative person because I say no 
to a lot of opportunities that come my way. Because if I can't intuitively see the opportunity, if I don't feel that it is worth the risk, I won't go for it. But if I see see it as clear as day, then I will absolutely go for it, hammer and tongs, and nothing will dissuade me until I see success. Yes, um, I'm kind of, <laughs> it's quite interesting this, very similar. You know, everybody said, like, I know Malcolm Gladwell's written stuff like this. But one of the things that somebody's pulled me aside and actually told me is they said, when you look at Mavericks, okay, everything that's done is done on the same few people and they've been case studied to death. Yes. What they've said is it's really refreshing for you to have found a hundred people. Okay, so some of them are recognised names, but a lot of them aren't. And that's what makes it... and, And because, obviously, I used to teach research in a university, I did use grounded theory. I did use a logical way of actually doing this. But... But in terms of conviction, yes. I mean, I haven't earned a salary for 18 months. Because all I've done is, because I am, because I am totally convinced in my heart that sharing this with the world will make the world a better place. If people could understand why the Mavericks think and operate and are the way they are, surely business is going to be better. No question about that. And, uh, you know, um, you know, success is many friends, as we know. Yes. So, <laughs> so I think that um, a lot of people are desperate for, um, for honest advice and practical advice and implementable advice. Yes. You know, and it's very nice to watch, uh, I don't know if you know that very famous Apple television commercial, Here's to the Crazy Ones. Oh, that's my, um, that's what started this all off. Well, there you go. That's what this is. I'll tell you what, let me do the interview and then I'll tell you where this is going because then maybe we can help each other, yeah? Yeah, okay. sure. So, sure. so what is so it? What I to say about that ad, though, is that, you know, it's fine to be a square pig in a round hole. It's fine to be the ones who, you know, dare to challenge, to push. But what I love about your book is you actually then saying how because most people don't know how Picasso thought or don't know how... Um, Ted Turner thinks, or don't know how Maria Callas thought. Yeah, and that, uh, all those people, and that's what you're doing here, which is very special. Is you you you're trying to unlock the formula? Yes, very much so. Um, to be quite honest, I couldn't have put it better. I wanted to know how, what, and why they operate the way they do, so that they could understand each other better, yes. understand themselves better but also how the world could... Because the crazy ones are the ones who are going to change the world, so they need us. That's right. The world needs us. 100%. Okay, so what are the challenges to being a maverick? Loneliness. <laughs> well, it's not like um, I ain't heard that before. <laughs> okay, loneliness, what else? Yes, you sometimes do. I mean, my partners even, they, you know, they sometimes think that I'm Don Quixote, you know, on my donkey, you know, chasing down windmills. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and having, you know, being able to be unpopular, make unpopular decisions, mm-hmm. being comfortable with discomfort. Yes. Um, and, uh, and often being the lone voice. Um, yeah. 
and 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 there are many examples where you know um, where I leave a meeting and I can see that I have um, irked people mm. considerably through not telling them what they want to hear, but telling them what they need to hear. Yes. And uh, and and uh, and I've always thought you know thought you know you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Exactly. So, you know. So you have to you have to be honest, you have to be authentic, you have to be truthful, and you have to give your best advice at all times. Yes. And sometimes that's cost me a lot of a lot of business because I've told people that what they haven't wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah. There was once a, a client who wanted to brief us on a very big project, okay. and I told him precisely why, uh, and they'd raised an enormous amount of money um, to to launch this division, and I told them exactly why the division wouldn't work. And why it was going to be a failure. Now, I could have very easily taken their money yes. and uh, done the advertising and done the marketing for it. And uh, and, and uh, I wouldn't have shared any part of that failure. I would have just done done very well out of it. But I wasn't prepared to do it. Tell them what was right and good for their business. And, yeah, but that's um, called integrity and you can't buy that with any checkbook in the world. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And. And we lost the business as a result of uh, what I told them. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, this man is a good friend of mine. Today, he works internationally, and yeah. he's given me all of the business that he's been able to give mm-hmm. me uh, as he's gone on in his career. Because at some point in time, the penny dropped, and he turned yes. around and he said, "You know, Mike, if I had just listened to you back then." Yes. And uh, and at the time, I was very cut up about it because I thought, you know, you've done something that's um, that's commercially not astute for the company, mm. but you've held your head high and, uh, and you've kept your integrity intact. But, do, do you know, you know what's interesting, Mike? One of the words that comes up a lot as well is being brave. And I think in that's being brave and being courageous. And the, the example you've just given me, that's just illustrated sometimes how brave and courageous the Mavericks have to be. That's right. That's right. So what's been the lowest point of your journey as a maverick? When you fundamentally and in your deepest, deepest heart know that you have a better offer, you have a better product, Mm -hmm. and another company who is looking for somebody in the space in which you operate simply cannot recognize that and awards the business to somebody who does goes on to do an extremely average job, mm. a much poorer job than you would have done, but because um, you are a newer company mm. and because you haven't got the track record as a company. You know, when I opened my company, a lot of people said that this was a very low point for me. Mm. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a wonderful saying which I've never understood until I opened my own agency. When I ran a big company, yeah. um, I never encountered this at all. But when I opened my own company, I understood it. And that is, no good deed will go unpunished. Yeah. I thought, what the hell does that mean? No good deed will go unpunished. Yeah. And yet I saw all the people that I had helped in their careers yeah. and a lot of the clients that I'd helped grow their businesses literally turn on me when I came back to South Africa and opened my company. Right. And it was it was because of fear. Yes. It was because of fear of what I would do in the marketplace. Yes. Or from a perspective, it was fear that I would disrupt a, a very comfortation that they shared with uh, with one of their, their suppliers. Right. And so 
Um, you know, a friend of mine who started a very successful financial services company said, you know, Mike, you're going to find a very strange thing is going to happen when you open your own company. All the people you think will come won't, yeah. and all the people that you currently don't know but know you will come. And that is exactly what happened. <laughs> and then so, so what people would say to me is, you know, Mike, we know you, we know you're good, we know that you have a great reputation, yeah. but how is your company? I mean, it's a new company. How good is it? And I'd say, look, a company is an inanimate object. A company is only as good as the people that work exactly. within that company. You know, so I have brilliant people. So although I'm a brand new company, yes, um, give us a chance because I have amazing people, uh, and uh, and and I think that my offer is every bit as good, if not better, than what you used to from when I used to run, you know, the largest company, uh, you know, yeah. in our space on the continent. And, and people didn't want, didn't want to give us the chance. But they didn't it, want to give us the chance. And that was a that was a low point. And then um, one company. Um, right. Uh, we, we picked up some smaller brands and smaller brands, and then Heineken put their business out to pitch in South Africa, a big right. global established yes. brand, as you know. Yeah. And we won. And yeah. that was a turning point and for you the know, company. You know, sometimes what it takes, Mike, is just it doesn't matter how much belief you have in yourself, and you have to have it by the bucket loads, but somebody else has to come along and believe in you. And that is, uh, to me, I think that's the tipping point in any in a relationship, in a any communication strategy, in, in any business. It's when somebody else, like I was doing this, and the tipping point for me has been interviewing all these people, these CEOs or around the world, and even people who are entrepreneurs who are struggling and living on a bag of rice a week. The fact that they believe in what I'm doing to give me the time of day tells me that I have to stay on this path because there's people believing in you. And you know, the, the lowest point thing is interesting because I interviewed the lady who wrote Pay It, um, Pay it Forward. Yeah. And, you know, she, I didn't realise there was a Pay It Forward foundation and organization and I ended up interviewing her and she told me something really fascinating she said that her lowest point was also her highest point because she'd written she'd written loads of books and she said but pay it forward came out it got bought you know the Kevin Spacey film came out and she goes in one hand the lowest point was that she had people who were let's say journalists who knew nothing about her, who hadn't, from their write-ups, it was transparent, they hadn't read the book or watched the film, and they were just saying such nasty things about, and derogatory things about her and her work. And she said, and the other side of the equation was that she's getting a phone call from um, the White House and was asked to go and watch the film with Bill Clinton in his private cinema. <laughs> and she was saying that was really a difficult time to get used to because she goes, it's bad. She goes, and she was saying that friends who had always been the sort of people who had been totally supportive of her, she's one of those people, she can be a recluse and she might just disappear off the planet for four months, yeah, while she writes a book. And she was saying some people were like, once she got famous, it was like, oh, well, you're too busy to take our calls now. And these, some of these were the same people who previously would have said, oh, no, she's just not ringing because she's working on her next book. 
So she found that really challenging. So, yes. so what aspects of... It's a very interesting story, actually. It, it, the, 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 the two points are the same. Mm. Yeah, I just thought it was fascinating um, yeah. how she said that. But more, I think she was so hurt by the fact that the, the complete strangers felt it. She said it was almost like once you get famous, because she was telling me, when you write this book, your world's going to change because this is going to happen. And she's already said anything I need, she'll support me with. But it was very kind of her. But the biggest yeah. thing was I said, you know, I think I might just have to pick up the phone and ring you because she said you're welcome to it any time because that was the thing she found hardest that... Even as like people who had been friends for years, it was almost like some people just couldn't bear the fact that after all these hard years of hard work, she'd cracked it. Yes, yes. And it's really yeah. difficult when it's the people that you think would be supporting you. That's right, hundred percent right. Yeah. So, what aspects of your personality or character influence your Maverick approach? Well, I'm very fortunate in that I've always had great support. Um, and, and when I say always had great support, not from the industry per se and not from, um, uh, you know, um, people, you know, automatically knocking my door down. But um, growing up, I guess, uh, my parents, the greatest gift a parent can ever instill in a child is to make them believe that whatever they want to do, they can achieve. Definitely. And, and my parents are those kinds of parents. So despite the fact that um, academically, although I always knew uh, I had the smarts, mm -hmm. uh, I was never a hard worker at school. I became a hard worker after school. Right. But they always, they always saw the magic in me and they always encouraged, I guess, my creativity and they never tried to to dull the edges or to say, you know, aim lower, mm -hmm. um, uh, don't don't go out on a limb. They were very encouraging always for me to develop our sense of individuality. And so I never found that I was uh, I was kind of a type of kid that um, that where where uh, my parents tried uh, to make me conform. I guess you know I was, right. I, was, I was allowed to be a free spirit, which. So if you're allowed to dream and, and to be creative and to think differently as a kid, that's an incredible advantage. I Definitely. Think. Um, and are you born or bred a maverick? So the examples you're giving me from your childhood, that's, um, that's the nurture side. But do you think you're born or bred a maverick? A combination. Okay, okay. An absolute combination. I don't, you know, I think, I think it's both nature and nurture. Um, so, and I think it's also a lot of stuff happens in your life where you can decide at a certain point in time that things, you know, I mean, I did, I battled to get into the advertising industry, uh, right. when I tried, it was no and no and no and yeah. no. And, and, I and many, many of my friends mm -hmm. uh, that studied with me went into other careers and, uh, and I persevered and I was tenacious and I wouldn't accept no. Um, otherwise, I could have accepted, you know, and uh, and so it's like, you know, so that is uh, that is uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a philosophy, you yes. know, that, that you that you that you have, where where you can uh, kind of, you know, my grand. I mean, I'll tell you about my grandfather later, I guess, but you know, no, I was tell me about your grandfather. That's fine because I'm 
my questions at the moment are about do you think your childhood impacted on your being a maverick which you've touched on um but yeah, yeah so tell me about your grandfather uh, so so my grandfather was an extraordinary man um he he, he was the son of uh, of russians that had mm-hmm. moved to south africa that couldn't speak a word of uh, of english mm-hmm. and they were they were stock farmers in a little village um uh, outside a uh, a small town, so in a, a, a tiny little, um, uh, even smaller than a village. You okay. Know? And and when my grandfather was um, uh, fifteen years old, uh, his father brought him through from the village into the little town nearby called Port Elizabeth, right. uh, which is on the in, on, in the eastern Cape of South Africa. Right. Uh, and um, and he got on a boat. Um, from these Russian immigrant parents, this little farm boy, and he got on a boat and he went to London um, to study uh, dentistry. Okay. At 15. Right. And he returned for the first time when he was 22 years old, saw his family for the first time seven years later. Right. When he got back from the, the Royal School of Dentistry. And, uh, and I've always thought that extraordinary bravery, that ability to dig deep. Yes. You know, at that young age, to be able to get onto a ship, no phones, mobile phones, no planes, no, you know, yeah. snail mail at best, and go and study dentistry. And he did that. And uh, and when he was in London, uh, they had recently um, developed the X-ray machine for dental dental X-rays, which they didn't have in South Africa. Right. And and so my grandfather came back to South Africa and he started his practice. And mm. about. Uh, Two months after starting his practice, the drill bit used to pedal the drill in those days. The drill bit flew off and blinded him in one eye. Right. And so here's this man now of 23 years old, blind in one eye. And he's not only a dentist, he's also an honorary maxillofacial because he has to do all of the operations and all the orthodontics and that. Yeah, yeah. You know, all of that stuff was done by, you know, a, a dental surgeon. That's why they're called surgeons. <laughs> yeah. And and then he brought X-ray machines to South Africa, and then he was taken to the South African Medical and Dental Council by the other dentists because they said he just wanted to fleece his patients by using this unnecessary machine called uh, an X-ray, and it wasn't really necessary at all to do X-rays. And so he fought that one, and he won that battle as well in terms of the importance of X-ray. So I looked at this guy growing up, and he was a second father to me. Not that my own father isn't an amazing man, he is. But I looked at this, and I thought, what amazing resilience, tenacity, creativity. Yes. uh, to, 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 To pull all of this together... And in the face of great adversity, as in losing your depth perception through single vision, to, to, to go on. And he had the biggest dental practice in the city in which he operated. And then when my grandfather was 60 years old, he retired. Yeah. And uh, he and my grandmother moved to a beautiful little coastal village. Um, they moved there on the Friday evening after he said goodbye to everyone and his practice. And uh, he took a long walk on the beach on the Saturday morning and he decided, is that what the rest of my life looks like? I don't think so. So Monday morning, he was back in his practice, and he practiced for another 21 years until the age of 81. <laughs> right, gotcha. So always not conforming in, in his own way. Exactly. Why, right. do I, why do I have to retire? Because there's a piece of paper that says at 60 I have to retire. That's right. Exactly right. Oh, what a lovely, interesting man. Thank yes. you so much for sharing that. 
I used to. I used to actually um, because when I was a children's nurse, I actually worked in um, um, orthodontic theatres. So okay. we used to we used to treat the children where you know like if you had a disabled child that wouldn't sit in a dentist chair for surgery for yeah. long enough because I used to yeah. work in day surgery. Yeah. Okay, so how is your enthusiasm and drive and energy related to being a maverick? Um, I think you have to embrace um, challenge. Mm-hmm. You have to be the kind of person that when things go wrong, you're wired to fix them. Yes. You have to be a problem solver by nature. Yes. <laughs> so um, a lot of people are put off by problems. And I think that a maverick is turned on by problems. So, so yeah. the normal default setting is when confronted but with a challenge, yeah. um, walk away. And... You know, and I think that for us, you know, it's the, there's the need to solve the problem. There's the need to bash the door down. There's the need to clamber over the obstacle. Yeah. Uh, there's a need to get around the thing. And so, um, so often, if I'm having a really tough day and uh, and a lot goes wrong, and I'm thinking, oh my heavens, this is a really tough day, something inside me says, how exciting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Completely. Okay. Do you know that feeling? Oh, um, Mike, you, um, I, I usually disclose this bit at the end, but I think you may have figured it out. One of the people I was talking to actually turned around and said, do you know what we really like about this book that you're doing? I went, no, but you're going to tell me. And they went, it's really, they normally, you get some professor in a university who decides to start writing about something that he, he does a lot of research but doesn't know about it. He went, the biggest maverick of the lot decided to write a book about mavericks. I mean, to me, if it's, if it's a problem, my brain... Um, I'll give you an example. I never wanted to... I never planned to do this uh, master's. I have a master's in children's health with a distinction. My last um, publication... My last presentation was with the Associate Professor of Paediatrics at Harvard Medical School. I pub, I'm in international committees, I'm publishing in international journals every year, I'm at the top of my tree. Why would I move into doing something completely different? Because my gut told me that I had this skill. So they approached me, I didn't want to do an MBA, so I got approached to do this master's, okay. And I'm like, I don't want to go into debt to do this master's, so... We tried everything. The The faculty even went and had coffee with my bosses to say she's so good at research, release her for one day a week and we'll give her the masters for free. They said no. So we tried it and tried it, right? And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and have one more coffee with these people. So I go along to have a coffee with them and I said, look, um... Are you or are you not the Centre for Creativity in London? And they went, yes, we are. I said, in which case, why don't we just now get fucking creative? And they just looked at me. A, the language. B, just the outright audacity to suggest that they weren't being creative enough. And they went, what are you suggesting? I said, hire me as your business consultant. Tell me your biggest challenge. I will solve that for you. And you give me the masters. And they said, yes. There is always a way. There is always a solution. You may not like it, 
And it may cause a lot of people pain, and it may not be politically correct, but there is always a solution. Yeah. Um, it's a right. Yes. You know, but you about the NBA, and, you know, um, I think they're very specific people. I don't think Mavericks should do MBAs, because I think that pedestrian people mm -hmm. that want to improve their skills should do MBAs. Yes. But a lot of the people I found that had a certain spark and magic about them yeah. had that intuitive magic um, rubbed out of them through the MBA process. Yes. However, just to re reassure you, I agree with, I concur with what you're saying, but I interviewed this guy on Saturday and he said he did an MBA and he agreed that uh, before he started, I'd sort of said that MBAs produce MBA cookie cutters, uh, not knowing he'd done one. But he said what he did was throughout the whole year's course, he was like the antagonist to his professor drove him nuts but how he channeled it was he used the MBA to teach himself everything that the MBA wasn't teaching him <laughs> so he was maverick enough to make it work and I thought that was a really interesting take yeah that's very interesting how do you see rules as things to be broken okay fair enough that works for me um, <laughs> so no, I mean I think that uh, you got to work out which rules yeah. are, are sensical and which rules are nonsensical. Right, okay. So, so I, th I don't see rules as a blanket uh, thing. And, uh, and so what I do like is that, that old adage of, uh, you know, kind of like, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. I don't think that, you know, certain rules are good rules. You know, in business, you know, when, when it comes to things like the fundamentals, okay. uh, like make sure that you have enough of a financial runway, the cash, look at the cash flow, you know. So so basically, when I look at, at um, embarking on anything, I say, do the preconditions to success exist here? Because there's no point me embarking on something if I don't have the financial runway to yes. see it through to conclusion. Yes. You see, yeah. so in yeah. certain instances, I will apply very strict rules because unless I have those things in place. So, you know, will. Um, so, for example, I, you know, along the way, I've been offered massive, uh, massive international jobs, okay. which I have turned down purely because I've said, is this fair to my family? Yes. Will, my, will I be a present and engaged father? Will I be a present and engaged husband? And on those issues, I've turned something down because I've set certain rules for myself that I will be there for my wife and children at all the moments that matter uh, through their lives. Uh, yeah, and, and, and isn't that the? Isn't it bizarre? You've had to set these rules, and the whole of society is actually got the rule wrong. That's right. Because if they got the rule right, you wouldn't be having to set this rule. Correct. Correct. Which is bizarre. It is bizarre. And to the extent where people actually think, you know, um, um, I'm crazy. So, so I was once, uh, I had committed to taking my family on holiday. Right. Uh, and, uh, and they were all set on it. And then I was asked to attend a very, very high-powered meeting 
uh, with a global CEO of the firm. Right. And I said, no, um, I'm on leave that week and I'm taking my family away yeah. that week. And he said, no, well, I need to see you that week because oh. that is when this thing is happening. And I said, no, no, um, the world, nobody's waiting for this thing and the world's not going to change. And if we do it a week later, I'm very happy to come a week later. Yeah. I'm very happy to come a week before. But that week, I cannot do. Yeah. And the person said, well, if you don't do it that week, it's not going to happen. And I said, well, then it's not going to happen. Good for you. Do you know what? Isn't it funny, right? It's almost like trying to be a good father and a good partner, right, is, is kind of like something that you have to fight for now. That's right. And it's kind of bizarre. But it's, it well, it's bizarre to me anyway. Well, I think people pursue the wrong things. You know, it's also what we said earlier, which you agreed with me completely when I said, in life you get because of what you give, not because of what you take. And I think that mavericks have got a long-term view of something. It's yeah. not a short-term goal. It's a long-term view. And so you are prepared to, um, to work towards a longer timeline and you're not prepared to compromise your values along the way towards achieving that goal. That is the goal you're setting out to achieve, and you will achieve that goal. You know, also, I think sometimes people forget that the people who got them there, does that make sense? Yes, that's right, so, 100% right. For, like, for example, if something happened to my partner right now, if I got a phone call to say he got dashed into hospital, everything else would be put on hold. Because it's yes. because of his support, I've been able to donate 18 months towards this on no salary. Yes. So it's kind of like, you know, people prioritize, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. You know, you said you have lots of quotes. One of my favorites is um, the, the little things in life are the big things, love. That's and right. I focus on the little things. That's 100% right. So I focus on those, and it's because of those that doors open, because I will turn around and say, well, actually, no, this one's not up for flex. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like I've always said, the kind of brain I have and the kind of way I operate, if, if I didn't write this book and it went down the pan, it doesn't matter. I will find another... I will find something else, but I wouldn't find somebody else who supports me like this person does in so many yeah. different ways. Projects will come and go. Um, the right person to spend your life with may not. Absolutely It's true. as simple as that. And trust That's me, right. I waited a long time to find a guy like this, so... Uh, and that's another thing is I always say to people because people say, you know, Mark, we, we, we're going to, we leave in the company. We're going to go there because, you know, they've offered me a whole lot more money. And I say to the person, are you happy here? Yes. yes. Are you challenged and fulfilled here? Yes. I said, well, I can promise you this, that being happy and challenged and fulfilled is worth a whole lot more money than they're offering you in this new job. You do need to know that. Actually, it's not even to do with the money because money can't actually buy those things. Correct. It even they could. Proportionate amount of importance on on the stuff that doesn't that doesn't come back and doesn't feed your soul and and doesn't add meaning to your life. Exactly. I have to say this. I'm um, I'm really enjoying this. I'm loving this interview. Okay. Oh, thank so you so much. I'm enjoying the chat enormously. This is brilliant. So have you always taken a maverick approach to business, Mike, or was there a particular trigger? Yes, I have. 
Uh, I have. Um, you know, I grew up. I grew up um, working um, from a very young age uh, in my father's company. He had, he was in uh, in furniture retail. Okay. Uh, so he had uh, retail outlets, and I would work. You know, so from um, from I guess the age of ten, I could uh, sell a settee or dining room table and chairs or right. whatever to customers in his store. Um, so from an early age, you know, uh, helping deliver, pack the storeroom, take do stock taking with him. I grew up with business in in my blood, I guess. Yeah. And um, and uh, and I've always been um, a good observer of life and 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 and, and looked and, and taken lessons and asked why. So if he had hard knocks along the way, which he did. Yeah. Because uh, my father. Um, He's, he's an amazing man, but he's, uh, you know, um, he relies too much on hope and luck. And I reduce the factors of hope and luck in my planning. Okay. Uh, you see. But yeah. so, so that was invaluable uh, yes. for me because I got a lot of the creative side from him. But at the same time, you know, I had to apply uh, a lot of uh, practical um, guidelines. Um, so, so when I, so at a very young age, uh, I got into business, um, whether it was um, at kind of seeing an opportunity to sell stuff, to, to import stuff, to, to open new businesses. Um, I did that. I was always industrious and always busy with little things here and there. <laughs> okay. And are you always a maverick or do you choose to be so at times now and why? Um, I guess I'm wired to look for a a better way. Okay. So if I think something is working really well, I'm not averse to um, not messing with the formula. Okay. I think if so, I think that if I've got the formula correct for something, you know, the old new Coke classic Coke case study. If I can identify I've got classic the classic Coke formula, I'm not going to look for the new Coke formula. To start another beverage, yes. separately branded, I might decide to go into into popcorn or crisps, uh, but I'm not going to take Coke and, and, and try and create new Coke. Okay. So so I do like to um, identify how to get something to its sweet spot. Right. And then to let it and then to let it um, uh, deliver the the returns. So I'm not constantly tinkering and fiddling and undoing what I've done. I'm not that type of person. Mm -hmm. But what I will do is I am a restless person. And so when something is running well, um, I do talk about my people being uh, hunters or farmers. Right. And so once I've got something to where I need it to be, I will have a good farmer looking after that. Okay. Uh, somebody who knows how to 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 mine an opportunity, look after it, maintain it, tend to it. But I'm a, I like innovation, and so yes. I'm always I'm always looking to innovate and to find the next challenge. Yes, yeah, very much so. Do you turn the dial up and down on your maverickism level? Like in this situation, you're speaking to somebody who's you know t just told you you're number eighty two. You can be as maverick as you like, and tomorrow you might be doing a business pitch with a company. And you and you know that they're only going to handle four out of ten on the maverickism level. So I need to turn it down. Yeah. Do you yeah. do that? So, well, um, 
it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I wrote, I have a blog, um, uh, which is mikeable.co.za, okay. and I wrote an article about 18 months ago, two years ago, which I called Brave is the New Safe, because right. I think that you have to be, um, you know, in order, in order to, uh, if you're going to play it safe in business today, uh, you're going to go one way. Um, and so I think that, you know, kind of being a maverick, being uh, entrepreneurial, being industrious is the way of the best way of future fitting your business and yourself being right. constantly, constantly learning. Okay. There are certain moments, though, where uh, I will read the room and I will dial something down in the short term um, in order to conclude the deal. Yeah. And then I will dial it up once the deal is done. Uh, it depends if it's material or not, Billy. Right. So I will never be unauthentic to who I am. Never. Right. Okay. What I, so they will never meet two Mark Abels. Right. What I will do, though, is I might choose um, to dial down um, my maverick nature or, yeah. or yeah. my entrepreneurial endeavor, whatever it is, yeah. in order to conclude the deal but with a strong view that once I have done the deal, I'll be able to add the value to their business right. once they know me and once they trust me sufficiently to do that. Because I do often believe that trust is earned yes. and can't automatically go in there like Wild Bill Hickok shooting from the hip yeah. and they don't know what is this guy on about. Why exactly. is he saying this? He doesn't even know our company. So I will often try and get to a place of, of, of great comfort with right. the people that I'm working with before I start pushing the boundaries. And is this, when you do this, is, it a, is this choice a conscious or unconscious decision? It's a conscious decision, mostly. Okay, okay. And what are the advantages and disadvantages of being a maverick in business? Um, one of the ones you've, I've heard all the way through is one of the advantages is you can do business and be true to yourself, remain authentic, maintain your integrity. That's what I've been hearing. Yeah. But yes. what other, what else are the advantages and, and what are the disadvantages? Um, I think the the advantages are um, living an exciting and productive life. Um, okay. So I've, I've never been interested in um, in hauling out somebody else's hymn sheet and singing from it or. Um, or, or conforming to, to, to leading a, a life that uh, that has been prescripted uh, in, a, in, in a in a traditional way. So I guess the thing is, it's the advantages are it's exciting. Yes. You're experimenting. You're charting new territory. You're making your mark. You're making a difference. And uh, and and you might even leave a legacy as a result. But okay. you're having fun along the way. You're not you're not plodding through life. You living laugh. Yes, you know? it's uh, really funny. You keep saying all these things. One of my and I don't usually go off on tangents as much as this, but I have this really simple statement. Okay, you're, I know yeah. you're going to love it. There are two types of people in this world, Mike. There's those that live and those that there ex those that exist. You just need to decide which one you want to be. Exactly right. It's and, a It's a great saying. It's a great saying. And I don't want to exist. I want to live. I want to live every single second. That's right. That's right. I mean, there's another one which uh, which I saw once, which I thought was also is, you know, 
Life isn't measured by the number of breaths you take, but the number of things that take your breath away. Yep, actually, the first. And that's right. Yeah, it is. And, and 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 if and if you wired that way, that's the way you choose to live your life. So yes. the disadvantage is you get you you get a lot more battered and you get a lot more bruised because you're taking the path less trodden. Yes. And and if you're taking the path less trodden, you are going to fall into pits. You are going to get bitten by snakes. You are going to have to take your machete out and cut away the bramble in the bush to get through it. Um, and so, but you will discover and uh, lands that other people haven't discovered. You'll go to places and you'll see things that other people haven't seen, what which you will discover. What a lovely analogy! Uh-huh. I really like that. I'm a visual Thank person, so I really like it when I can picture something. <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. And that's the way I do it. You know, so I don't, uh, I don't mind. I go into the adventure knowing, but, but. Sometimes you get home and you think, "Wow, that was uh, that was pretty bruising," and yeah. could I have played it? And and and, uh, and then to say, "I'm not always right. I'm frequently wrong about stuff." And then I learn from that. I say, "Well, what can I take out of it?" Why, you know? So so I have gone into situations where I have chosen specifically to play something safe. Yeah. And I've lost the and I've lost the business. I've lost the deal yeah. as a result of playing it safe. And then I've said okay. And then other times I've lost the deal as a result of doing something um, maverick. Yeah. Uh, and different. And each time I look at it and I say, what can I learn from it? What didn't I spot? What were the yeah. variables? You know. And yes. sometimes this and, and oftentimes actually oftentimes there's nothing you could have done because. They had something in mind that they wanted, yes. or people in mind that they wanted to work through, and you were just part of a selection process, whatever yes. it might have been. And uh, and you got to basically learn from. So I learn from failure all the time. Oh. I don't let failure get on top of me. Um, I certainly I certainly don't take failure well. I don't. Um, I ruminate and I, I go over it and over it and over it until I've worked it through every which way. Yeah. But um, but um, but I do learn from it. There's a really good model that you can use that helps you with everything you do. That you can. It's called the map of innovation, and you can use it to see what worked well, what didn't work well, what would you keep, what would you throw out next time. I find that really useful. That's interesting. I don't know about it. The yeah, I, yeah, because um, it's it's kind of bizarre. What I'll do is at the end, I'm going to scribble some notes down, and then I'll tell you this stuff at the end. Yeah. Fantastic. Has age and experience altered your maverick approach? If so, how have you grown? Um, that's a very interesting question. Um. I think that um, I think that the challenge with age um, and success, I guess, uh, is to to not lose, uh, you know, one's. Uh, in my case, I guess, boy-like wonder. <laughs> You know, to not become jaded by stuff, to stay as enthusiastic about stuff. So I, I like the fact that I approach stuff with an enormous amount of, uh, of optimism yes. and, uh, and energy. 
And I wouldn't like to, so I think that there's a boyishness and a naivety uh, uh, that I like to, to hold on to. Right. Uh, because I think that with, with some of the hard knocks, you can become a little bit jaded and you can become a little bit more um, uh, s- uh, skeptical about things. Yes. Um, and I find that for me, I actually have to fight against that and to always dig deep to find that enthusiasm behind something, even if it's an unlikely thing that's going to happen, I like to kind of, uh, you know, try and make it happen. Have you uh, seen the, the UPS commercial? No. About the little... Oh, I'm going to have to send you this because everything you're describing, I just watched this. My partner and I were watching this thing on enthusiasm, so I'm going to send you this link. Great, I'd love to see it. So I think that that's the thing, you know, so I don't think that, I always say that one mustn't confuse experience and talent. Um, So I've got um, people in my company who are very young, and I say very young, 28, 32 years old, who are far more capable than some of my senior people in the company that are in their late 50s, early 60s, because these people have got, they've got an X factor to them. Yes. And they are just brilliant. And I say, well, I'm prepared to trade off experience for pure talent in this instance. And I'll I'll always go, when all is said and done, I will always put talent ahead of experience because I'm there. So I'm there to to kind of be the, you know, the wise wise dog when when he's called upon. But um, I guess, um, uh, I guess that... um, there's a difference also between experience and wisdom. Yes. And I think a lot of pe- people don't necessarily pick up the wisdom with the experience. They just get more and more experienced as opposed to saying, well, let's find a better way. Exactly. Let's do it differently. Okay. Yeah. What aspects of your business are you most maverick in, Mike? Um, I think problem solving. Okay. So I think that where the guys would probably get the most benefit from me, my leadership team and my partners, yeah. is in finding, you know, finding an innovative solution to a problem. Okay. And what aspects of your business are you least maverick in? What do you do just like everybody else? Um, probably the production line. Okay. Okay. So, when I mean the production line, I think that there are certain ways of getting uh, work through the company in a in a in a very organised and thorough way. And so, I talk about um, you know Jamie Oliver is yeah. you know people often say to me, Mike, why do you speak so openly about how you approach uh, solving problems? And mm-hmm. I say to them, well. The same way as Jamie Oliver shares his recipes. Yes. Because the Jamie Oliver cookbook doesn't make you Jamie Oliver. Exactly. Exactly. So so there are certain production processes and certain business formats that are put in place that absolutely, and and business ratios, salary to income ratios, revenue to income ratios, rental to income ratios, operating profit to revenue. All of those things I work on a lot of established ratios yeah because it's not where i am required to add value i'm required to add value in innovative thinking and great and great solutions okay and 
And that's where the X factor is going to come into it. Not yeah. trying to break something that works perfectly well. You know, somebody said this brilliantly. I've got to share it with you. I was wondering if out of the 100 Mavericks, somebody, the main answer that cops up as the thing that everybody does the most alike, yeah, least Maverick, is finance and taxes. And while I was doing the interviews, all the way through, I kept thinking... I'm really hoping that one maverick's going to turn up and say, actually, we totally screwed up and played with the whole tax system, yeah? And um, I was talking to this guy called Charles Day, and he turned around and he said, you know what, why would I spend the energy trying to fix something, trying to change something that isn't worth my energy? Why wouldn't I spend my energy on something that is going to make some sort of impact? And I thought... Touche, point taken. Yes. So, and you've already touched on legacies, but is part is any part of being a maverick related to the legacy you want to leave behind? Yes, I. Huh, I want. To, uh, it sounds extremely cliched what I'm going to say, but I want to know that I have fundamentally made a difference to people's lives. Wonderful. And and. Um, and I try to do that in, in, in many in many different ways. Yeah. Um, and the street store would be would be one example of that. Yes. Where you know yes. we've invested an enormous amount of the company's resources, time, effort behind this, and and helping to create, I guess, what's what is now a global movement behind yes. it. But there are many instances in terms of, you know, I'm a very keen collector of contemporary art and taking a chance on artists where I like something which might fly in the face of uh, of conventional uh, uh, aesthetic. Or um, I've written a children's book based on um, my kids' uh, toys and what they grew up with so that I could give them a story uh, that I used to tell them. And I, I self-published the book and... Uh, and, and it had quite a lot of interest where people, you know, went into the bookstores and, and bought this kid's book. But I wanted to write that for my children. People say, why would a, you know, CEO of a large communications company write a kiddie's book? And why, and why, if you've written one, don't you write more? No, because I wanted to write one. I just wanted to write that for my children yeah. and other people, you know. So um, I think that... Uh, I would have liked to have made a difference in terms of helping a lot of people realize their potential. And I have helped yeah. a lot of people realize their potential and, 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 and help South Africa. So, you know, my plan, yeah. uh, my dream, my dream is to create the world's best advertising agency, best new age marketing company from South Africa. Okay. And I'll say to my people, if a little barefoot farm boy called Nelson Mandela, yeah. that nobody knew, and that could go to jail for 27 years, could end up being the most famous statesman in the world, could yeah. have the biggest state funeral that anybody has ever had. Yeah. This, little, this little African boy from the foothills of the Eastern Cape. Can't we set ourselves a much, much, much lower ambition just to be the world's greatest ad agency? I kind of don't know what to say to that, apart from the fact that, yes, it's completely doable. Um, and, you know, everybody has to have something to aspire to. Yes. Everybody needs to have something yes. to aspire to. And, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to aspire to somebody else's dream. You know, what do they say? A man who has no dream has nothing. 
That's true. The man That's of the is nothing. So, thank you. Well, you know, Victor Frankl, do you know Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning? Yeah, and one of them, I think it's a book that every human being on the planet should be made to read. That's right. That's yes. right. So he says for man to be happy, he needs three things. Yeah. Someone to love, yeah. something yeah. to do, and something to look forward to. Yep. And it's exactly it's exactly that. You know who I'd love you to talk to, unless you have a talk, unless you've spoken to him already, or unless he just is the most impossible man on earth to talk to. Because I'd love you. I'd love to read an interview with this particular man. And shall I tell you who it is? Who is he? You'll probably know exactly who I'm going to say. Uh, but Elon I'm open. Musk. Oh, do you know what? Right. Yes, I would very much like to interview him. He's as we get through the interview, I am going to ask you. One of the questions is who inspires you and who's a maverick you look up to. But he's, you know what? I would love to interview him. Do you know what the challenge is? The challenge is when people get to a certain level, it's kind of you have to try and get past the gatekeepers. Yes. Now I can't. I won't tell you. I have tried getting in touch with him. I have. I'm not going to get Elon Musk unless somebody introduces me because I've emailed their offices. You know, it, I, to them, I'm. You know, in this world, um, one of the challenges we have to face, okay, is when you're a somebody, everybody wants to know you. Yeah. But when you're a nobody, very few people will give you time of day. And I've been very humbled because last week I interviewed Jane Tewson, who's the woman who came up with the comic relief concept for the for the for the UK. So that that interview took me one phone call to her office and her PA, the girl who answered the phone and went, I think Jane's going to want to talk to you. Then there'd be other people who. In maybe in the hierarchy of things, although I don't have a hierarchy, I really appreciate the world does. In the hierarchy of things, aren't nowhere near the top echelons. But it's like trying to get to speak to them is like, oh no, we ain't got time or money for this. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I know would... exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean, and yeah. I think that uh, I don't know if he has the generosity of spirit as a human being himself. Even if you got through to him to do the interview, I've got no idea. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, but um, what I do, because I mean, I haven't. You know, he seems like an extremely guarded and uh, and private man. But um, what I do like about him enormously is um, how he has jumped from uh, PayPal to sending, uh, you know, kind of satellites into space to yes. developing this company called Tesla. And I was in Los Angeles two weeks ago, and right. I saw. These cars were a dime a dozen on the road, yeah. uh, these Teslas, spectacular cars. And I just thought, what an incredibly brilliant man to be able to replicate that level of innovation time after time, time. in a number of different industries. It's just unbelievably inspiring. It's quite phenomenal, actually, because, and how is it, you know, be, yes, I would be fascinated to interview him, but I don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Okay, so coming back to this... <laughs> Sorry? Maybe once he sees the success of this book, he'll do the next one. But the thing is, see, by then I might be like, I'll interview you, but I ain't writing another book on Mavericks. <laughs> um, because that will be to do with my integrity. I'm not going to do something just because you now deem, now you deem it's worthy to talk to me. I'm still the same girl. I'm still doing exactly the same thing. 
You know. Exactly the sort of thing I would say in my partner's <laughs> Come on, of course you must. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like I say to some, uh, you know, people often say to me, um, you know, you're so nice and, you know, you don't, you don't have to do this. And I have this very simple phrase, um, I don't have to do anything. I only ever do what I want. Yes, good so, for you. Mavericks tend to be risk takers, Mike. What's the biggest risk you've taken in business to date? Was it actually just setting up the, the separate company on your own? Or is there something else? Yeah, no, no, I think it is that. I think the biggest risk I've ever taken was when I came back to South Africa uh, was when I left South Africa, I was running, I was jointly running the biggest marketing and communications agency on the Africa continent. Right. And when I came back to South Africa, I chose to start with absolutely nothing. Uh, so I had 800 people and 12 operating companies when I left South Africa. Right. And when I came back, it was just me. Okay. By and I surrounded myself with good and trusted friends that I'd worked with. I like to work with friends. Yeah, I uh, like that, to work with friends. That I know. My model always in business for my partners is do I know them? Do I like them? Do I trust them? Really? If I don't tick all three boxes, I won't do that. I won't work with them at a at a partner level. Okay. No lack of trust. Okay. And those are all. You know, you said earlier the small stuff is the big stuff. Yeah. It's the small yeah. stuff that's my big stuff. Yes. Uh, so um, so that the and then I knew that in oh, I'm based in Cape Town because I love Cape Town. It's an incredibly beautiful city. Right. But the the business hub of South Africa is Johannesburg. Right. Uh, so the other thing that I did was I knew that I needed to have a, a significant agency in Johannesburg in order to grow a company of scale. Yes. And so when we were only six months old, I went to Johannesburg. Right. I, I fully furnished and kitted out and branded um, beautiful premises. Right. And I locked the door. And I would fly to Johannesburg with a couple of my partners and I'd open the door to host meetings there. Yeah. And after the meetings, I would lock the door and I'd fly back to Cape Town until we landed business there. Yeah. And that was, that was a huge roll of the dice. Yeah, but why not? How long has um, your company been going now? Uh, we'll be five years old in February. Okay, so is this the only venture you've done in the past five years? Uh, well, I've opened MNC Saatchi Abel, which is the advertising company. Right. We've opened uh, MNC Saatchi Africa, which is our, our company that is going is already handling brands across the Africa continent in a number of different countries. We, right. We're doing work. Uh, and I've opened up a media company called MNC Saatchi Connect. Okay. All we are, all we are brought in top partners. So... Uh, basically, I've opened up uh, three companies over okay. the past five years. And what would you consider are the characteristics of a successful venture? Success according to Mike. Um, I believe uh, uh, a differentiated product, so mm -hmm. something that is different to what's available. Right. Uh, something that is both different and better. Right. To what it's so when I talk about better, better for me is something that will give you a better return on investment. Okay. So I'm in business and I want to be able to offer my clients a better return on investment. Okay. I want to be able to offer them something that will grow their top line and something that will grow their market share better right. than anyone else can. Right. Okay. 
So that for me would be from a client point of view is have we done wonderful work for them? Have we done great ads for them? Yes, yes. Have we won a lot of international awards? Yes, yes. All of that to me is, is relatively unimportant compared to can I hand on heart say I have grown their top line and their market share better than anybody else could. And that's how I measure success for my clients. Okay. How I measure success for my people is um, are they challenged? Are they fulfilled? Do they believe that they're doing something extraordinary with their lives? Do they feel that they have the, the safety and the protection to do something extraordinary? Okay. Okay. I like that. What, what do so, you do that makes the venture successful? What do you bring to the table? I have a very clear vision of what I want it to be. Okay. So I don't go into anything to say... Oh, this looks interesting. Let's 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 give it a whirl. You know. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's see how it shakes out. I am a control freak. Right. Uh, and so uh, I think probably most of the people you've spoken to are. You probably are too. I don't know. I I, li- I like to determine an outcome. So I don't like. Uh, I don't leave. Uh, I mean, obviously, I leave an, em- an enormous amount of chance because you are charting new territory. Mm. But but. At the same time, when the currents are trying to push you onto a different path, mm-hmm. you've got to swim harder against the client, yes. the, the, the current, to stay on track. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I, so basically, um, I lead by example. You know, I say that when I run a company, yeah. we don't have Alex Ferguson in our company. We don't have anybody standing on the side of the field with a whistle. Yeah. You either are on the field playing the game. Or you're not in the stadium. Yes. Yes. When I walk onto centre court, I need to be able to serve an ace. Yeah. If I can't serve the ace and if I can't win the game myself, I shouldn't be on the court. Right. And so I hold myself very accountable. I get tackled when the rest of my team get tackled. I lose when the rest of the team Team lose and I win when the rest of the team win. So I'm never above it. I'm in it all the time. Okay. And when a venture is unsuccessful, what do you consider are the main reasons for failure? Um, I think uh, maybe inattention okay. that I haven't been sufficiently involved. Right. That that my attentions have been too diluted. Um, that um, that I could have called it wrong. Okay. Uh, and if I've called it wrong, how did I call it wrong? Usually. No, 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 not usually. In every instance where I have failed, yeah. it has been because I have failed to appoint the right person to run the division. Right, right. In every instance. Uh, in ma- every instance I can say it wasn't the product, yeah. it wasn't the offer, it was the person leading that thing. Right. Um, and, and my failure is in appointing that person. Okay, okay. As a maverick, what are you afraid of? Failure. Okay. (laughs) And how important is team to you as a maverick? You've touched on it about being part of the team, but how important is team to you? All important. Okay. And when I say all important is my business partners that I work with, that I started this company with, I have worked with, there are a number of us, um, I've worked the minimum 
with one of them uh, is probably 12 years. Okay. Most of them are between 15 and 20, 22 years. Okay, okay. And because they free me up mm-hmm. to do what I am very good at. Yeah. And they provide me with the assurance that they do what I believe that they should do brilliantly. Okay. So, we are, so I like to work, and they're all friends of mine. So yeah. when we, we travel extensively to go to um, our global uh, board meetings, to, to go and find out what is best practice, what is new, what's happening, we keep ourselves very, very uh, we talk a lot at global or local conferences. Right. And, and we have a good time as friends. We have each other's backs. Yes. So, that, so I think it's incredibly important to surround yourself with a great team. Otherwise, it's extremely lonely. Yeah. And also, um, if you are trying to build something, you want to be able to have um, people that are on the journey with you. Where I value different perspectives all the time. Yes. And my partners, because they're my friends, can be brutally honest with me. Yeah. They can say to me, Mike, we don't think that you approach this in the right way, not that yeah. they often do, but they have the space to do that. Yes, yeah. You've touched on this throughout the interview, Mike, but does being a maverick affect your approach to leadership? Is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, I think that uh, I think it's uh, I think I'd, I touched on it earlier. Is that um, you know there's a great saying which is leadership is action and not position. Yeah. And I've never looked at myself as being because I'm the head of the company or because I founded the company. Yeah. That I'm the leader of the company. I'm the leader of the company because I bring leadership to the company. Yes. Which is in terms of my vision are for the company, and when I say vision, I don't mean a vision statement no. or a mission statement or some piece of trash that is framed on a wall. I mean a, 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 a clear idea of what will work, what will succeed, what will be better, okay. and then having the, um, the involvement in it, uh, the, the steady hand in it, and the, the perseverance to to lead the team, to guard the team, to support the team and to back the team in order to get there. Okay, okay. And how and where did you get your permission to be a maverick? It was self-appointed. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> you. You've touched on this before, but how is creativity and innovation related to being a maverick? Um, I think it's essential. Um, I think absolutely I think essential. Um you know, I don't know. I don't know who the guy was at uh, at IBM. I don't know who the top guy was, but I certainly know who Steve Jobs was. Right. You know? Yes. Okay. Okay. Mavericks tend to be learners. What are you a student of? I re- I read voraciously. Um, yeah. So. Uh, I read everything. I read uh, important stuff and I read trash. I read fiction. I only read non-fiction. Right. Uh, uh, There was a wonderful movie many years ago called Joshua Then and Now, and I remember the one person saying, you know, what do you think of all the trashy writers these days? And the guy said, you know, there's no such thing as a trashy writer, only a trashy reader. True. Um, But but I I read... I watch I watch a lot of uh, of 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 television in terms of news, in terms of reality shows, in terms of dramas. Uh, I 
am always I'm always reading. Um, I'm very well versed in what's happening with social media. I follow stories. Um, uh, you know, I've got a bit of a uh, I'm an armchair investigative journalist. Okay. So always, okay. I like to dig. I like to look. I like to find, and I don't like to be sucked into something because that's what the story is. I yes. believe that a lot of what we see is is bullshit, and I think that we fed a lot of a lot of rubbish uh, by the global media today. Yes, a lot. Do you draw on other mavericks in any way, Mike? Yeah, most of my friends. Uh, are entrepreneurs that have started their own companies, lead their own companies, um, are are interesting, lead varied lives, um, mm. and it's just happened that way. I've just gravitated uh, to people to, to you know a lot of my friends from school have gone on to do extraordinarily well in their own companies, right. whether it's in in commerce or whether it's in medicine or whether it's in academia. Right. Uh, and they were all interesting, quirky, strange people at school. Right. <laughs> Um, and, and yes, I mean my friends that I've made in in latter life, and and uh, and a lot of our very successful clients or people that we engage with have sought me out, you know, and yes. have, have enjoyed spending time with me. And so I don't like meaningless small talk and chit chat. I get quite bored. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, Could you imagine what my life must be like at the moment? Because all yeah, I do is talk to people like you. And then, and then you know, so how did, the guy I just interviewed yesterday, he was like saying, you know, you come out and you've been talking about finding the cure for cancer and then your missus is telling you that the laundry needs to be done. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's trying yes. to sort of balance that, you know, okay, you've got to be what I call normal as well. That's um, right, that's okay. right. And I think that that's also something that I have to, that I often have to take myself into check that I don't get bored with, you know, uh, a lot of conversation and, you know, that, that I'm very fortunate and you're very fortunate, we're very fortunate to lead the lives that we lead. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, 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 and not always to, to need that kind of stimulation, but, you know, to sometimes dial it down, as you said earlier, and, and, and be happy with what I think is the, you know, the ebb and flow or humdrum of everyday life. Life, yes. <laughs> You've already answered my next question, which was, is there anyone who's a maverick that inspires you? Aside from Elon Musk, is there anybody else you wanted to add? Um, well, are there many people that, they, I mean, there are many, many people that, that, that inspire me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I spoke earlier about my grandfather and, you know, yeah. bringing x-rays to South Africa and, you know, kind of pushing through through that, that boundary, you know. Um, you know, uh, I looked at my father who, you know, had multiple business ventures and, you know, kind of, you know, always had the conviction and self-belief to carry on trying and pushing and pushing. But in terms of the global guys, uh, I would say Elon Musk is, you know, they are the obvious guys and they're obvious because they are just frigging, frigging brilliant. Yes. So, so an Elon Musk, uh, as, as Steve Jobs, um, a, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I read a wonderful article about a year ago which is why the world will why, why the world will remember Bill Gates and will forget Steve Jobs. Right. And and when you look at what a man like a Bill Gates has done, yes. I think it's extraordinary in terms of the lives he's saving around the world. Yes. And it, and uh, you know what? I actually, funnily enough, I ended up at the grand challenges um, event that they were hosting um, just a couple of months ago. 
Yeah. Um, I, I was supposed to be interviewing, I don't know if you've heard of the guy, um, his name's Aruna Charlam, and he, um, he's the guy who's designed the sanitary napkin-making machine in India and just okay. was awarded the Time magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2014. Yeah. I was supposed to be interviewing him and he said, why don't you come and interview me? And I'm not thinking, I've got, I've not been earning a salary. I can't just jump on a plane and just fly around the world to interview people. But so I thought, I'll just Google what he's doing in Seattle. And he was at the, he was on a panel. He was on an innovation plenary panel with Bill Gates and three other people. And I ended up going and interviewing him down there. Amazing. Wow. Fascinating what they're doing. But he was a really interesting guy. The guy's got no education, fell out of school at third grade, and has a, had a... I'll send you a link to what he's done. Yeah, I, I think Yeah, and because um, I interviewed him, and he was saying the irony of life is he's been asked to speak at Harvard um, to talk about how to do innovation when he's actually the kid they would never have even let into one of their classes. Amazing. So that's what's <laughs> been fascinating. Well, okay, next question. What do you have to suffer and sacrifice because you're a maverick, if anything? Um, I think that you... Um, you're probably a lot harder on yourself. Yep. Because you don't like mediocrity, mm. you don't like failure, mm. uh, and because you have stronger conviction, I guess, than most people, mm. when things um, don't work out well, um, I think you take the you take the knocks harder. Yeah. You're more resilient in terms of how you bounce back. Mm. I think that you you can feel probably a greater sense, a more acute sense of failure mm. when things don't work out the way you want them to than other people that are that are are not as driven or not trying to to shape things differently. Okay, and what motivates you as a maverick? What makes you jump out of bed and say, "I'm going to go in and I am going to build the best advertising marketing company in South Africa, and nobody is going to stop me." In the what world, in the world, not in South Africa. I really think I have that in South Africa. I truly do. Okay. Um, I... A meaningful laugh. A meaningful laugh. Wanting, wanting to lead a meaningful laugh. Okay. Um, I absolutely do believe that life is unbelievably precious. Unbelievably yes. precious. And that one needs to make the most of every day. I completely believe that. And so uh, I, have to, I, I, do, I do sometimes have a propensity towards moroseness, which I fight against, yeah. um, because I get dissatisfied with something. Yeah. But, but absolutely um, my, my sense is that the, the fire in my belly every day is because I want to conquer yeah, I want to conquer new territories. I want to yeah. find new things. I want to discover. I want to discover new lands. And I'm with you on the whole thing about you know this living a meaningful life because part of my previous life I used to work in palliative care for children. So you know if you if you've buried a four year old and a seventeen year old on the same day, life takes on a totally different. You have a yeah. different, so there's nothing any CEO on the planet can tell me that makes me think this is a big problem because 
having to bury your own kid and helping somebody's family get over that, that's a tough day at work. Everything else is doable. Well, that's right. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I have uh, I have experienced, I think, more than my fair share of loss. Right. And uh, and so I understand the fragility of life. Yes. I understand. I understand my own mortality. Yes. Uh, and 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 that does make one. It does sharpen one's focus and on what's important in life. Very much so. Is any part of being a maverick related to finding out who you are and what you're capable of? I think it's essential. I do look. I do think that there may be a lot of mavericks that are particularly unevolved people and might have just focused specifically on great business success. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I think that um, for me, you know, you know, when you when you look at your life, you have to you have to look at you know have you have you made a difference to the people whose lives you were. You were most responsible for making a difference to. Yes. You know, and and that would be one's family first and foremost, one's spouse, one's children, mm. one's grandchildren, uh, one's parents, one's siblings, one's friends, uh, and, and and so that 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 um, is uh, makes one lead a, a less selfish life in, in in terms of maybe materialism, but maybe a more selfish life in terms of wanting to, to, to get the most out of the, the relationships the relationships that matter. And, yeah. uh, and as I have seen in life personally and professionally, that when the shit hits the fan, uh, those are the people that are there for you and those are the people that matter. Nothing else does matter. Exactly, exactly. No. I, I actually run everything I do, I do it on a relationship-centred approach, even business. Yes. Because people do That's business right. with people they like. It's as simple as that. Do you like being a maverick? I wouldn't change my life for anything. Okay. Being not being a maverick to me is is being slightly lobotomized. Okay. <laughs> I won't put that out to the general public because we might isolate ninety percent of the readers. <laughs> but I'm completely, completely um, between you and me. Completely concur with you. Um, it, again, it comes back to the living and existing. It comes, always comes back to that one for me. Is being a maverick important or a responsibility in any way? No, I think, no, I don't think so. I think that your responsibility in life is to be a good person. Yeah. Uh, and is to be a good person. And I think that um, to be a teacher in a school mm-hmm. at, at low pay, to be a nurse in a hospital... Um, Helping, you know, you spoke earlier about, um, you know, uh, palliative care mm. and and children, and I think for me that the hero, the, in, it might sound cliche, I don't care. I absolutely believe the heroes in life are the doctors and the nurses that yeah. work in oncology wards, in burn units, that are social workers that take children away from abused homes. Yeah. Those are people that are leading. Uh, incredible lives yes. that, are, that, that are making incredible difference. I don't, believe, I don't believe what I'm doing is. I think that what I'm doing with the street store is 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 arguably um, no, is arguably more uh, important than um, 
is arguably more important than than running a company and commercial yeah. games. And you know, I had this um, I had this real challenge. I was talking about it to my boyfriend just the day before yesterday. We were watching something on children. I was a really good children's nurse. I had more recommendations and more parents writing than any other nurse on the unit. And I was watching something and I was saying, you know, why did I leave an industry that I was really good at and could, you know, I had a really meaningful existence, yeah? However, the reason I left was because I realised that I would be better off sending out 30 people like me into the world and onto the wards than just being one person. So I went into lecturing. Then when I went into lecturing, I started doing leadership and management and I realised that I was so good at this stuff that I would actually do much more greater good in the world if I could do that. Like, you know, the last piece of work I published was how to take a dysfunctional team on a children's hospital in East London and turn them into one of the most functioning teams possible, which I helped to do. I still do good because 10% of anything I earn... Um, I give away to children's charities. So I, I just learned to push the bigger levers. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. So that, to me, I kind of, I'm still trying yeah. to do good, but in a different way. Because I, had, yeah. I knew my skills, I could do much more good if I just channeled myself in a different direction. Yes. No, I agree, I agree with you, Billy. And I think that what you have done is extraordinary. Um, I, can't cl- I can't lay claim to such a thing. In terms of, I have to be authentic to myself, and I say, well, I am, you know, in all is said and done, I am in marketing, and I do understand that I create demand, mm-hmm. uh, and I do understand I create employment, and uh, and in many instances create a lot of joy. But if you say, is it in, to me? Do I believe that um, that it is as meaningful as the stuff that you are talking about? No, I don't. Have you have you ever read the story about the stonemason? No. Okay. I'm writing down things I'm going to send you, okay? Yeah, I'm going to ask you the last five, last few questions and then yeah. perhaps if you didn't mind if we could have another conversation about where I want to go with this. Sure, with pleasure. Okay, so now you're nearly finished. On a scale of one to ten, how maverick are you? Uh, six. Okay. What advice would you give to someone who feels they're a maverick so that they can be the best possible maverick they could be? Um, Dream big but prepare thoroughly. Okay. If you could have a superhero power, Mike, what would it be? Well, it would sound again very cliche, I guess, healing. (laughs) No, it's not cliche. It's the biggest gift we can give the world. I think healing, yeah. Um, what would be one quote that defines you as a maverick? Um, I know you like lots of quotes, but what's the one that you really touches your heart in terms of you being different? Um, I think that I think I'd have to come back to. Um, to our friend Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> okay. And I'd, I'd probably have to say, you know, uh, if you can, you know, risk it all in one game of pitch and toss yeah. and lose and start again at your beginning and never breathe a word about your loss. Um, I think it's about, you know, that thing about, um, you, you touched on it, that your, yeah. your favourite quote about, you know, treating success and failure as both imposters. Yeah. I think yeah. it's about being... 
it's about for me leading a meaningful life yeah. and and not not being able to measure you've got to determine it, it's how you measure your life and yes. your your worth and it's a it's not a point in time it's a collective yes because yes. because life is you know up and down up and down up and down and I think too many people are kind of judging themselves on one particular day or one particular yes. year. Yes. And I think that you need to kind of have a look at, you know, what one refers to as the triple bottom line of yes. one's life. And it's it's commercial success. It is honesty. It's integrity. It's family. It's, um, you know, contribution. Um, so I look at all of those kinds of things in terms of how I, I evaluate. And I've got many faults, trust me, many, many significant faults. Um, but I hope that the positives net out and uh, and 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 uh, and uh, weigh and and hopefully hugely overweigh the negatives. But that's not to say I don't have negatives, and not to be cognizant of what those are. Okay. Thank you very much for letting me Present interview help. you. Fantastic, okay. Billy. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, welcome to the Maverick family. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Bye. you, Billy. Thank you.